Hello everybody, I'm uh, Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live, my live and uncut podcast, which I'm privileged to say has now been running for five calendar years. And I'm even more privileged to have Richard McCann on tonight. He's one of my uh, friends from the Professional Speaking Association. He's a speaker, Hall of Fame speaker. And we first met at the Global Speakers Summit in Holland in 2011. Richard, fantastic to have you here. Congratulations on everything you, you're doing. I've just looked at your website. It's one of the best websites I've ever seen. And you've got some great testimonials on there. So if anybody wants to look at uh, how you really build a website, take a look at Richard's. That is a really professional. Richard, um, tell you. us a little bit about you and your uh, backstory and uh, how it all happened. Well, 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 as you point out there, I am a professional speaker and I know there's a few speakers here. It all started with this book. In fact, I just grabbed it whilst we were waiting. That book about my, I guess, my early years uh, is what what basically helps me change direction. For those of you that don't know my backstory, and I know some of you do, when I was a five-year-old boy, I lost my mum uh, to the serial killer, Peter Sutcliffe. He, he became known as something else, but I like prefer to call him by his name. He killed my mum all those years ago, and he went on to kill 13 women. So I'm, I'm associated with quite a high-profile story. And if you'd have told me back then, or even as a young adult, that uh, I'd be doing the work that I do, helping other people overcome their own challenges, I would have, well, you may as well have told me the earth is flat, because I, I just did not see that coming. So that's, I guess, the backstory. I mean, there's a bigger backstory, and we might get into some of that, but... Basically, mum was killed by a serial killer and it followed me around throughout my entire childhood before he was arrested. And just when he was arrested in 81, I thought that might be the end of it. But as you, for those of you in the UK might know, it's it's never left the screens and magazines and newspapers. So I've had to become accustomed to that following me around like a bit of a dark shadow, uh, something I was ashamed of, in fact. Uh, and, and In fact, I was ashamed until I wrote the book. I lied about who mum was. I, I said she died in a car accident because there was lots of negativity uh, around some of the women who, including my mum, was described as uh, a prostitute. And what was going on back then in the 70s is the police and the public and the press, they inadvertently were suggesting that they brought it upon themselves. So all that language wow. around those years and around the around some of the women that died impacted on me in a very negative way and that's why I had low self-esteem I lacked confidence and I, I simply didn't have a voice I eventually wrote that book just a boy and that was when things began to change and um, maybe we can talk about how things have changed uh, as we continue but that's against I guess who I am and what started this this different journey in my life in, in later years how did you get the book contract at that stage Richard because it sounds very early early on in your speaking career no, no, the book came before the speaking. I wasn't oh, speaking. Okay. So how did I get the, I sent out a, 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 just a very amateur letters of approach to publishers and agents, and they weren't interested because I wasn't quite sure how to put together a, a, a proposal, but I persevered. And in, in fact, actually, the reason I wrote the book was because my sister Sonia stabbed a boyfriend. That was just so you know. She stabbed the boyfriend. I thought she's going to go to prison. He didn't die, by the way. And I thought, I naively thought, if I write the book, tell the world what we've all been through, what she's been through, maybe the judge would take that into account when sentencing her. That was a bit naive. That was never going to happen. Anyway, they dropped the charges, so I stopped writing the book. And then through a chance meeting on a 
salsa holiday, I met a guy that had a book written about his life, which became a film. And when I spoke to his mum about my idea for this book that had gone on the back burner, she said, no, you've got to write that book. And I, I came back from that salsa holiday in Spain with this renewed motivation to keep approaching publishers. And eventually I got an agent. And in fact, there was a bidding war. I know you're into your negotiations. There, there was, maybe I could have done with your help back then, actually, Jerry. And hey, what? Well, not sure how that's happening. But anyway, the point is, um, there was a bidding war and we eventually got the book published back in 2004. So that's 19 years ago. Wow, that's great. And it sold half a million copies. Just uh, like that, or was there a lot of promo for it? There was lots of promo. In fact, it was the promo, the, the publicity for it, me being on the sofa on a programme called This Morning with Philip Schofield and Fern Britain. It was that interview where, and I was very nervous, I have to say, I didn't know Alan Stevens and all those other PR and I guess gurus that can help you with that stuff. I just sat on that sofa and told my story, very amateurish. And somebody saw that and said, would you come and speak at our conference? I didn't really know. I didn't know there was an industry out there, but I I followed my instinct and I went along. I, I My first presentation, I, I literally sat down in a breakout session and I read out of my book. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know. But, but what I did know because I have a, a fear of speaking. What I did know is that I've got a fear of speaking. If I accept this invitation to speak, it might help with that lack of confidence. And it, well, 3,500 presentations later, it's exactly what happened. I mean, it's over 20 years. So that's the story. That's the book. And that's how I got into speaking. Mm, fantastic. No, and the book made a difference. How did the book help your self-esteem? and your confidence. I'm curious about that because it seems to me a lot of people that are watching this might might want to write a book. Well, it's a, it was very cathartic for me and, and it is a resilience technique. It's about expressive writing. You write down what you've been through, put it in the bin if you want, but that process of writing it down has been, well, there's a book about it. It's called Expressive Writing. Um, it, up until the book came out, I would lie about my mum. I would lie about, well, I wouldn't say that I was associated with this serial killer. I would tell lies. And, and and then when the book came out, it, it it liberated me. So not only did I benefit from writing it down, because you do, helps you process some of these things. When it came out and I was, in fact, I haven't got it here. I was looking at a very old external hard drive from something like 2008. And it had all the letters. I'd kept them all from all the readers of the books, inundated by them. I mean, I'm, I'm about hundreds. Uh, when I was bombarded, Wrong word. But when I received all these lovely, supportive emails, I just realised I went through a transformation of not being embarrassed and ashamed of who my mum was, how she died and, and, and being associated with it. So that was a really kind of transformational process for me. Uh, and and I've written three books in the trilogy. There's, there's actually a, a trilogy. And in fact, I've started writing another book this weekend, uh, which is an interesting, a different mm. take on my life, I have to say. Um, no, I just heard a notification. I thought I turned my emails off. Was that me or you? No, I didn't hear didn't hear anything at this end. So don't worry about it. Okay. Don't don't worry. Now I've heard you speak four, five, six times. Every time you get better, it makes me think of that word kaizen, which means uh, continuous improvement. It's a Japanese word, isn't it? That they used in the car industry from uh, e, e, uh, e Edward Deming and Nigel Kermy will correct me on that later on. I'm sure. Um, you work really hard at improving everything, don't you? Your brand, your websites, 
everything. Um, how do you do that? Why do you do it? It reminds me of, of, of life before mum died. We were on the at-risk register. For anybody outside the UK, that means the social services, the authorities are keeping an eye on you because uh, there's some neglect going on. So even before mum was killed, it was pretty tough. Alcohol, violence, gambling, abuse, all, all that stuff. But as a little boy, I recall... I have got it over there, but I've got a thing called this, uh, a book of green shield stamps. Now, what green, you remember Green Shield stamps? I've actually got the book here. I, I'm going to um, I'm going to put you on gallery view. I want everybody that's heard of Green Shield stamps to uh, put their thumbs up. Oh, looks like we've got uh, we've got a golden oldies session on today, Richard. Uh, if I want to the green skill go flying. And the point is, we had no money, but so Green Shield stamps, like going to Tesco, you get a digital point and you build up the points, you get a voucher. It was like that. So you'd, I would fill these Green Shield stamp books up and, and because that was a way of improving my situation, I'd get some money for sweets or biscuits. And that approach to life, as in looking around me, what can I do to improve my lot? As I think it's in my DNA. My mum's family were, I didn't know this, they were travellers. They're from Scotland and they were called tinkers. So they had to survive with whatever they could get their hands on. And I think that's in my DNA. So when I started speaking, all right, I had a website and it was shocking, incidentally, but I didn't, you don't know what you don't know. But when I started looking at other speakers at the Professional Speaking Association and just whoever was out there, I'd pinch some of their ideas. I would improve it. So I've always wanted to work on improving. What was it, Kaizen, did you say? K-I-Z-E-N. Yeah, I'm sure Tony Robbins talks about that. Uh, I went to see him in 2006. Now, I, I talk about this I can attitude my name is Richard Can, but I think if you put Can I continuous and never ending improvement, it kind of fits that. Uh, uh, well, that's been the, the message mm -hmm. of, of my life. I want to look as good as I can. I want because it's in my it's in my interest. Mm. Best website as I can, the best showreel that I can, whatever it may be. Um, and by the way, I love your uh, orange brand. By the way, uh, did you think of that immediately with your hair, or was that somebody? Is everything orange in your house? Uh, everything's everything's well, not everything. Um, got my orange watch there. It's all to do with it is all to do with the ginger hair, which is not very ginger anymore. But I had a I had more time I could bring the slides in. But I had ginger hair as a child. I was embarrassed by my hair color. I was ashamed. I hated myself. I looked in the mirror. I hated myself. But now I embrace my gingerness, and I've got as you can see on my cup. Hopefully, three wonderful. Ginger children there. There's my daughter. And we yeah. call ourselves the Ginger Massive. So I'm, I've taken something that was a negative in my life. I've embraced it. And you can't see it here, but this entire wall is orange. It's all to do with the old, um, yeah, the, the ginger that's fading. Well, that's all to do with reframing, which is such a positive, uh, every problem is an opportunity, isn't it? Such a positive thing at which most people don't don't care now you've always had a lot of energy at the uh at the uh, last professional speaking association when you were the main speaker and the best speaker by the way i don't mind uh, oh, telling you that by, by miles, you told a story when you were 12 i probably got this wrong when you were 12 your sister was in a foster home somewhere else and you were in a foster home somewhere else in leeds i assume and you got a paper round so that you could put the paper through the letterbox of the foster home where she was. Now, was that true? I love the story. No, um, 
we, I was not in a foster home. After mum died, we were all brought up by my father, his new girlfriend. But when she was 12 and been a typical teenager, she ended up being placed into this children's home. So we were at home with dad and, Gil, and his well, stepmom, and she was in the local children's home on St. Catherine's Avenue. Yes, I had a paper round and I was able to deliver papers. And because there wasn't any arranged visits, because she was the black sheep of the family, we could, we could speak through the letterbox and uh, how are you doing? How was Donna doing? So that was our little thing. But it didn't last for too long because the following year, this is 83 now, I joined the same school that she went to so I could see her properly and it wasn't talking through the letterbox. Oh, I love that story. That's fantastic. You've always been driven, haven't you? Clearly really driven to uh, do things like that. Uh, you had a you had a bit of a dark period before you woke up, didn't you, and got involved in some things that you probably shouldn't have done. Are you able to share that with us, or would you prefer not to answer that question? No, oh, I mean before we started, I mentioned that I'm banned from America, and and that's exactly what uh, we're talking about here. Now I was reflecting on this just yesterday, and I googled it to see whether or not what happened was legal or not. I got involved in recreational drugs in the early nineties. Many people did ecstasy in particular and as a bit of an entrepreneur i would buy the drugs and i would sort my friends out and i would get mine for free and basically i was set up i literally was set up by a police informer uh, to uh, to get a slightly larger amount than i would normally have and um yeah i got arrested i got arrested for that and i got i got sent to prison so i was actually sent to hmp leeds which is the prison that my mum's killer was sent to so i'm there i have to say not at the same time but it was like the same prison he was sent to. And what, what I was reflecting on over the last day or two was, is what the, did what the police do to me? I set, setting me up, was, is that allowed? And it is actually not a defence. You can't use entrapment as a defence because I guess I should have said, no, I'm not going to do this. So anyway, the point is that's what happened. And yes, it was a low point in my life. It wasn't the only low point in my life, but I think, and you mentioned it there, reframing, one of the ways that I got through that and got through the death of my mum is what I said to myself. So let's just go back to mum. When she died, I'm in the children's home. I can remember, I can't remember everything from them, but what I do remember thinking is mum's been taken by God to stop her suffering so that me and my sisters, we can have a fresh start with my dad. He's, he's got a new girlfriend. She can be my mum. It looks like we're in a proper family. And that crazy thought process, but that thought process helped me at the time. And that, as you say, that reframe is what helped me get through the prison. So what I told myself when I was arrested was that God, I'm not religious, but my first school was a religious school. So I'd been introduced to the concept of God. I told myself that God had intervened to have me arrested so that I'd be given the opportunity to turn my life around. And you know what? That, that I mean, it was tough, but it helped me. And it's 27 years ago. I, I mentioned that I've started writing my latest book. I have, and it's I've, I've, I've enjoyed it more than any of the books that I've written because what it is, it's where I, as a 54-year-old man, go back to Richard in his cell on the first night. 27, so I'm 27, I'm in prison, I'm on my, my, uh, my bunk bed, and I go back and have a conversation with him about life. I want to share the wisdom that I have now that I wish I'd have known when I was laid on that bed in prison. And do you know what? Going back and having that conversation, it's such an enjoyable process and book. Uh, and I posted chapter one on one of my Facebook groups and uh, a journalist said, that's the most thought-provoking thing you've ever written, Richard. And it was quite simple. Somebody on LinkedIn said to me, 
when I posted last week on the 2nd of January, oh, it's 27 years since I was sent to prison. Somebody said, what would you tell yourself if you were back there? And I thought, that's a brilliant idea for a newsletter. But then when I started writing it, I'm four or five chapters in now. It's absolutely fantastic. So, uh, sorry, I've got... No, I'm no, so excited I thought, about it. I thought some really professional uh, author had uh, told you that's the way to do it because they're called nested loops. I think in uh, in psychology terms, where you uh, where you start halfway through and then you add different bits in. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. I'm looking uh, forward to uh, to uh, buying the book as soon as it's out, Richard. That'd be great. Space, 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 yeah. So, what was the defining moment? when you changed and said, I could be, um, you know, I, I've had all this trouble. I'm going to go out and make a difference. I can, uh, which is your brand. I yeah. can make a difference. And this is what I'm going to do. When did that happen? Well, it was, there's a number of steps, but I wrote the book. That was to make a difference to my sister. And then to me, I then <clears throat> went to university. Actually, I wanted to become a social worker to help the kind of families or children like, like, I, like I was as a child. Yeah. But whilst I was there, this ambition to make a difference in the world, I then got that first invitation to speak whilst I was there in my first year, my foundation year of this degree. And I did this talk, albeit poorly delivered, but I did it and people were talking to me. Oh, that was really great. I really enjoyed that. And then I, I did another talk at a college and that's when somebody said to me, you want to check out the Professional Speaking Association? I went to my local chapter uh, this is December 2005, and I loved it. And then I started going along to the monthly meetings, and it was at my very first, in, it was at the Belfry, defining moment, life-changing moment. But I've written a newsletter today about it. Um, I heard a speaker called W. Mitchell. I don't know if you've yeah. heard, have you, have, you, have you seen him speak? Yeah, yeah, very much so. And so have a few people on here, definitely. Right, well, so Mitchell, as he's known, uh, was speaking, and after his talk, or maybe even during his talk, I thought, what am I doing at university? This is what I should be doing full time. And I walked away from the university before that week was out. That was on the Sunday when I left there. I left university and I wrote off all the money that I'd spent funding the degree. And I decided to become a speaker. It took a few months for some momentum to, to, mm -hmm. to, to gather. But uh, so the book was a defining moment. The, the, the accepting the invitation to speak all be it delivered poorly was another moment, but it was at that belfry that I thought, I'm going to do this, or I can do this, and I can make a difference in a bigger way than being a social worker. Mm. And the rest is history. Yeah. Now I saw um <laughs> I saw your two sons get talk at uh, at a conference and I, I was totally blown away by that. It almost brought tears to my eyes. Tell us about that. Tell us it was your six-year-old son, wasn't it? Or eight-year-old? Well, so it first of all, it was my son, Ellis who told his speakers when they asked him, what do you want to do when you're older? They'd all been asked. It was parents' evening. I went along and there was a Polaroid picture for each child. And my son said with a whiteboard, when I grew up, I want to be a motivational speaker. And I was so disappointed when he told me that the teaching assistant laughed. So I thought, right, if he wants to be a speaker, he can. So I started bringing, bringing him to some of my events. And he'd, the first time I did it, he just stood up. He got a round of applause. Then he did it, stood up and did a sentence. And then we built him up to eventually speak in front of 3,000 people, still at the age of eight. It's such a powerful piece of footage. And I have no idea whether he'll become a professional speaker. He's now 16, he's, very, he's into his art. But if he wants to, he's got some fantastic footage of where it all started. And uh, as you said, it wasn't my younger son, it was my, my younger daughter, Isla, at the age of six, said, 
Dad, I'd like to also be a motivational speaker. And, and then she comes along to one of my storytelling workshops. It's only 40 people, but she's only six. And she gets up, it all goes wrong. And then they go for lunch, she practices, and then she comes back. She blows the audience away. Just beautiful, beautiful. Absolutely. Show it. Yeah, sorry? I wish we could show it here. No, uh, never mind. So um, where have you been over the world? And uh, where's the farthest away? And what's the scariest place you've been to? Yes. Um, well, I've been... So first it was Switzerland. That was for a travel company. So Switzerland, we've done Germany, we've done Belgium, we've done Luxembourg, South Africa, we've done Malaysia, uh, I've done Canada, the Global Speakers Summit. Uh, I've done Italy, I've done presentation skills in Italy. That was a great one. Um, I think the scary, or oh, Iran. A few of us have done Iran. I don't know if you've done Iran. Have you done Iran? Have you not no done way, Iran? no way. I thought I you think, were crazy. I, I think that'll be my scariest one. When you arrive at that airport, not knowing anybody with your white skin and like, oh my gosh, what is, on that was the scariest thing. Eventually we were picked up by a driver and then I felt a little bit safer, but I don't think I'd go there again on my own unless I was being escorted around because, uh, yeah, that was a pretty scary place. Fantastic people, I have to say. Be careful what you watch on the news and the impression we're given by the media, but the people that I met were sort of the beautiful people. And um, what's, um, what's the real message that you get across when you're in schools? In schools, or oh, in fact, well, whether it's schools, whether it's adults and everything in between, it's all about mindset, reframing, and this belief that we can get through those challenging times. We are all going to go, but we're all old enough to know. We've all been through stuff, haven't we? And the point is, we get through it. I mean, there's some techniques out there, but the point is, there's always a way back from setbacks. That's the message. Now, I'm just going to share this with you. It's this is aside from that. This is a you, you can't see it. This is five okay. years time. Um, I, I sometimes do workshops in schools, and I say if you could have a magic wand and you could do anything, what would it be? Don't don't, don't let limiting beliefs get in the way. Just write them down. And this person wrote all these down. Do whatever well, GCs go to university. Blah 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 blah. She wrote to me. I think about seven years later, after the five years were up, to let me know that. She'd achieved all those things on that list, which I think is absolutely fantastic. In fact, I've been on her LinkedIn profile recently. Not only did she get a degree, she's on her third degree now, which is, uh, I mean, I've got loads of stories of uh, people coming back to me many years later saying, you don't know how much you helped me. I was going through this with my mom and drugs and, and now I'm doing this. I've, I've got, you know, endless amount of those letters. And I love it because it just means, well, indirectly, it means that the mum's death wasn't in vain. Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm curious, what do you say to uh, the boys when they say, I want to be a professional footballer? Do you know what I say? I go, yeah. you! I, I actually say, you, a professional footballer? You're joking, aren't you? And Don't play for us. And then I, <laughs> I let that land, and then I say, you're going to have people say that to you, and you need to be able to challenge them, because remember me about the professional speaker, people said that it was not going to happen. I even shared that with you. And when I... Before I started speaking, I think John's there. Um... No, he's gone. He's gone. Oh, there you go. Um, before I started speaking in 2004, just after the book came out, I was at a conference and I asked the psychologist, very famous psychologist, when it came to Q&A, just when would I be able to put my past behind me and be able to speak to people confidently? And he said in front of about 100 people, you might just have to accept that you're as good as you're going to get. And maybe he was trying to do me a favour. 
But it's my belief that none of us will ever be as good as we have the potential to get because there's always more we can do. It goes back to that Kaizen you were talking about. Uh, I totally, absolutely, totally agree with you. And everybody on this call is uh, self, uh, self-motivated anyway and uh, we're all on the same page there will be a lot of people watching this on youtube or listening to this on spotify believing that they've peaked and no one should ever believe they peaked however old they are should they you know it's all about ages and attitude not a number absolutely and i'm reading a fantastic book at the moment called the expectation effect it is all about this in your head it's i won't go into the detail but it's blowing me away i thought i thought i knew a lot but this expectation effect book uh, been out in the last 12 months. In fact, it was a recommendation at the Professional Speaker Speaking Association conference just a few months ago. I think I've read it three times now and I've got an audio. It's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. It can extend your life, stop you getting dementia. It's, it's all in here, or a lot of it's in here, in your head. Hold it. Have you got it there? You haven't got it there, have you? I was going to say, hold it up. It's in my book. It's in my bag. Okay, it's, it's, no, don't worry. Put it in the chat box uh, in, in, a, in a, a bit later. In fact, I've just read Stephen Bartlett's book and I've read, I'm reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's book because people have sent those to me and they're uh, two really good books. And I'm not all that keen on Stephen Bartlett on Dragon's Den, but um, the, no, I met him. the I met him information that he's got in his, uh, his book is uh, amazing, but he does have 30 people working on his podcast and on mine, I've just got me. So there we are. Richard, we're nearly out of time. Um, I just wonder if you have a couple of tips for people watching this as we go forward in 2024 with all the negativity on the news uh, in the newspapers everything's going wrong particularly as we live in the sixth richest country in the world which makes me very very cross that we have all that negativity um tips for people how do you finish a conference or whatever well one of the things that i do is resilience and I think I've mentioned it already, but not in detail. I have an exercise that I, I carry out. It's called the bounce back graph. Maybe I should uh, trademark that. But for those of you that can watch, it looks something like this. Uh, ups and downs of life. You got it? Uh, yep. And what I do is I show my bounce back graph to the audience. And it's quite detailed. There's probably about 25 dips and there's about five serious dips into the red. And what I do is I get them to do their own. And what we find is they all look the same shape. We've already been through things in life. We've already found our way back. So it means the next time something happens, like the pandemic in 2020, my revenue stopped completely for about six months. But because my life is up and down and has always been up and down and I've always bounced back, it gave me a bit of comfort to help me get through those difficult few months. And uh, do you know what? There might be another one around the corner. So my message is things are going to happen to all of us. Uh, maybe people on this call have already been through some stuff. Not only is there a way back and you might need some professional help, but you may grow because of that specific setback. It's called post-traumatic growth. It's not my work. Tedeschi and Calhoun's work. You grow in ways you wouldn't have grown had it not been for this, that setback. Mm. More time, I could talk about silver linings. but that, So that's, my, I guess, my key message is there's always a way back. I knew it as a five-year-old boy and, and I know it now. Yeah, that's... Um... That's absolutely amazing. Richard, I see that you've got a conference going on on the 24th of January in Leeds. Um, how do people book for that watching this or uh, on YouTube or do they just email you, look at your website, etc.? It's Icon Live, 21st of January, it's up in Leeds, Sunday. It's me and five other speakers and it's all with a very similar message, but different uh, different stories. And, uh, and 
Yeah, iconlive.co.uk. If anyone wants to go along, get a half price ticket, just put friend in the coupon code and you can get a half price ticket. I'll even oh. read you as well. They'll all be writing that down straight away for a half price ticket. Capital F, lowercase for the rest of the word. We like deals. Richard McCann, thanks so much for joining us. It's taken me two years to persuade you to come on. I never give up. Uh, I keep, uh, and I might even ask you, to, I might even try and persuade you to come back on in uh, in a few months' time uh, and share some more stories. But uh, thank you so much. And can I ask members of uh, Monday Night Live to give you a vote of thanks in the normal way on Gallery View? Thank you. Richard, thanks. Uh, thanks so much. I look forward to catching up with you uh, shortly and uh, best wishes for 2024. And you and to everybody else. Thank you for having me.